Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. Now? Now? Hello? Comedian Andy Kaufman died Wednesday of lung cancer. Kaufman's routines were, in one word, zany. Everybody say, okay. The wacky comedian and actor Andy Kaufman was considered by many to be a comic phenomenon. I am very happy to be here tonight. His contribution to comedy is right up there, really, with Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor. He made his reputation doing groundbreaking and bizarre routines in the clubs of New York. I had never seen anything like this. It was very edgy, very uncomfortable to watch sometimes. In the late 70s, he became one of TV's biggest stars, playing the goofy mechanic Latka Gravis in the sitcom Taxi. He was also the master of invention and told friends he was going to fake his death. So when the news broke that Andy Kaufman had died of lung cancer at the age of just 35, some refused to believe it. He was a put-on artist, and this was the ultimate put-on. Now, leading forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is going to investigate the case to try and find out the truth about the performer's death. Dying from lung cancer in your mid-30s is incredibly rare. Adding to the mystery is that, at first glance, Andy appeared to live a very healthy life. It seemed he was a vegetarian and didn't smoke. And it's no wonder that some people believe his death was a hoax. So I need to investigate every aspect of Andy's life to once and for all uncover the truth surrounding his mysterious death. Acclaimed forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has expertly conducted thousands of autopsies for nearly 20 years. As the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities, he works closely with law enforcement and other forensic specialists to investigate suspicious deaths. This is Andy Kaufman's death certificate, and it states that he died of primary bronchogenic carcinoma, lung cancer. But it's incredibly rare for a seemingly healthy person to die from this type of cancer and to die so young. Using all of the medical information and first-hand accounts, I'm going to finally reveal exactly what happened to Andy Kaufman. November 24, 1983. Andy's family home, Great Neck, Long Island six months before the star's death. Andy is visiting his parents for Thanksgiving with his girlfriend, Lynn. As is traditional in the Kaufman home, every member of the family and guests have to sing for their supper. But Andy struggles with his routine. Andy's parents notice their son is coughing and trying to catch his breath. The big trombones and the red attack drums. He was coughing to the point of choking, and that's not normal. <laughs> Andy agrees to go for a medical checkup when he returns to Los Angeles, where he's lived for the past six years. 
There could be many different reasons for Andy's coughing, from a common cold or bronchitis to more serious illnesses such as pneumonia. However, this is more than likely the early warning signs of Andy's lung cancer. Andrew Jeffrey Kaufman was born in New York City on January 17, 1949, and grew up in a comfortable middle-class family in Great Neck, Long Island. His father, Stanley, sold jewelry, and his mother, Janice, was a homemaker. Andy was the eldest of three siblings and was a natural entertainer, performing and writing from the age of five. I think his star quality was there from the beginning. I mean, after all, uh, some of his routines were already written by the time he was seven years old. He loved some of the old TV shows, and he would make believe he was doing a TV show out of his bedroom, and he would talk into a make-believe camera. Ladies and gentlemen, from TV Andy continued to write and perform. As a child himself, he'd put on shows for other kids. Then when he was 23, Andy got the chance to perform at a New York amateur night. Encouraged by the response, he launched onto the club circuit and got his big TV break in 1975 when he was talent-spotted for the inaugural show of Saturday Night Live, where he performed his Mighty Mouse routine. Andy enjoyed inventing different personalities. One of his most famous guises was Foreign Man. And in 1978, he was asked to play the same character in Taxi, a sitcom set in a New York cab company. It became one of the biggest shows on American television, and Andy, one of its biggest stars. Oh, yeah, sure. But Andy disliked sitcoms and longed to continue testing the boundaries of comedy, even if it meant alienating the audience. A longtime favorite was singing an old American folk song. 99 bottles of beer on the wall. 99 bottles of beer. Everybody's waiting. When's something going to happen? You know, when is the punchline? So we'd go down to about... 95, 94, down around 90, people started booing and whistling. Then people started walking out. Then all of a sudden, the people that haven't left, they get into it. And they start singing along with it. Then he says, three, two, and then he goes, one bottle, and then... And the place erupts, people are turning tables over, they're jumping, they're throwing things. And I'm sitting there thinking, how does he do this? How does he pull this off? He wanted them to react, he wanted them to be real. He loved it when they were quiet and bored and frustrated, and he loved it when they were yelling and screaming at him. 
Performing in front of an angry audience could have been a stressful situation. But Dr. Hunter has found something in Andy's past which could explain how Andy coped in this environment. Andy showed all the signs of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And this is a common mental health condition in which a person has obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. Although this would not have caused Andy's cancer, it will give me an insight into how he lived his life and what effect this could have had on his health. I did his laundry for him, and it was downstairs in the basement. And I think I had must have left like a sock or two in the dryer. And he was furious at me. He marched me down. He said, this is how you do it. You count every piece when it goes into the washer. You count it when it goes out. You count it when it goes into the dryer. And this was just the way it had to be. <laughs> it was a long period of time where he had to eat seven, not six, not eight, not six and a half, but he had to eat seven almonds a day. And if he couldn't find the almonds, forget about it. Obsessive-compulsive disorder is characterized by thoughts that you can't get rid of. So what you're trying to do is quieten your anxiety by doing the compulsions that you have. So if the thought is something bad is going to happen to someone I love or to me, then the compulsion might be something completely unrelated, like I need to wash my hands X amount of times. Numbers become very significant. Repetition becomes very significant. In the United States, Around one in a hundred children have OCD, which begins earlier in boys than girls. It can be brought on by early traumatic events, something that Andy may have experienced as a little boy. Andy was very close with his family, especially his maternal grandfather known as Papu Sai, whom he adored. When he became very ill and died, to protect Andy, his mother told him that Grandpa had gone away. And it said that for some time afterwards, Andy would wait for him to return. He told me how he used to stare out the window and that his parents were very worried about him. What he would have understood, because kids think in a very concrete way that way, was that his grandfather chose to be away from him. So he may very well have seen that as, as a form of rejection. I think what also starts for Andy at that time was this realization that actually we're not in control of everything. And therefore his subsequent need for control, which may very well have underlaid his OCD, which he struggled with for, for a very long time, I think right through to the end of his life. Not only has his grandfather's disappearance been linked to Andy's OCD, but some claim it even sowed the seed of his obsession with faking his own death. The eccentric comedian Andy Kaufman died of lung cancer at the age of 35, but there are those who refuse to believe he is dead as he had spent years saying he was going to fake his own death. Now, respected forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is looking into the case. For decades, rumors have circulated that Andy Kaufman's death was actually an elaborate hoax. Not only was his death from lung cancer highly improbable for a young non-smoker, supposed evidence also emerged which, for some, 
added credence to the story. Evidence such as this recording between Andy and his writing partner, Bob Zamuda. When I'm more famous, we could fake it. Yeah. We could do stuff like that. Oh, we have, well, of course. Yeah? We have a gravestone in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then you come back again. People say, ah, that's him. That's him. And, and then uh, when you really die, yeah. nobody will believe it. Uh-huh. You'll be immortal. Mm-hmm. That's great. But for believers in the hoax... The most compelling piece of evidence is that Andy told many of his friends that he was going to do it. Andy did talk extensively about faking his death. I introduced him to a friend of mine. We had dinner and he talked the whole time about how Elvis faked his death and how Elvis was still alive. To the point where the person I was with was convinced of it. And then Andy said, no, he's dead. he really did die. But see, you could really do it, couldn't you? Andy's brother Michael also believed Andy had staged his own death. And in 2013, he publicly read a letter he had been handed by a stranger 14 years earlier, allegedly from Andy. There was too much pressure to be Andy Kaufman. I just wanted to be Andy. I think that's why I got sick. I had to change completely and quickly. But Michael Kaufman later retracted his belief that his brother was still alive and said that he had been the victim of a hoax. And now, one of Andy's closest friends can finally settle any rumors of his fake death. I was there in the room. I've never talked about that. I didn't know, and I still don't know if Andy would like that or not, but uh, it's been 35 years or so, and it's something disgusting about them saying he's alive. However, Andy would like it, so I was trying to do what Andy would like. Um, until now, don't be mad. He's always mad at me anyway. <laughs> December 1983, Andy Kaufman's doctor's office, Los Angeles, six months before the star's death. He's accompanied by his girlfriend, Lynn, to receive the results of tests he's had, looking into the cause of his cough. I remember we went out to dinner, and I said to him, what would you do if you had six months to live? I swear I said that, because my friends and I were doing that with each other. And he said, I'd finish my book. What would you do? And then I don't remember what I answered. And he actually had about six months to live. Andy receives the news that he has cancer, and that it's inoperable. That's good. Andy did not understand a cancer diagnosis that was inoperable. He was very naive. He didn't know cancer really killed you. So I will get better. He was a naive guy, but you love a naive guy. Like a kid. Andy was diagnosed with large cell carcinoma of the lung a rare form of cancer which usually affects smokers over the age of 50. It's a particularly aggressive, fast-growing form of lung cancer. As the name suggests, the cancer cells are large and round and usually appear in the outer regions of the lung. According to reports, Andy's tumor was in his left lung, bordering the heart. It was blocking his bronchial tube, which caused pneumonia and consequently his cough. Although Andy claimed not to smoke and live a healthy lifestyle, I've found evidence that this was a different story when he was young.
when we were teenagers, any money between us, we'd spend on cigarettes. And we were discovering drugs, pot and a little bit of speed, you know, and we would take acid trips together and get drunk together. Andy's use of recreational drugs appeared short-lived, and there's no link between the use of lysergic acid diethylamide, otherwise known as LSD, and cancer. Neither is there a link between cancer and the use of amphetamines or speed. But in his early 20s, Andy gave up his vices and turned to vegetarianism and transcendental meditation, going so far as to become a teacher of the practice. I think the attraction was personal enlightenment, to be free of all problems and have freedom, and we all were interested in world peace, the philosophy that if everybody meditated, everything would be great. Although Andy appeared to live a healthy life from this point onwards, one of his characters, Tony Clifton, embodied everything that Andy claimed to have given up. How you doing? Listen, when I ask you a question, you answer. How you doing? Tony Clifton was a nightclub singer, meat and potatoes, smoking, drinking, bigger than life, entertainer. He would make people put out all their smoking items and play You Light Up My Life, and he'd be smoking like a big, giant Benson and Hedges double long. Tony Clifton smoked cigarettes. He'd come on stage, and if you could see, he wasn't inhaling. There is an artiste at work. Although Andy stopped smoking after just a few years, men who smoke every day are over 23 times more likely to develop lung cancer compared to non-smokers. Add to this his use of cigarettes as Tony Clifton, whether inhaled or not, and the fact that he was breathing in secondhand smoke working in small clubs, I cannot discount smoking as playing a role in the star's death. But the average age of diagnosis is 70. Andy was just 35. So I need to find out why he got the disease at such a young age. Andy had his own theory. He blamed the one vice he could never give up. You guys have heard me talking about Madison Reed for quite a while now on the show, and I really want you guys to give it a shot if you haven't yet. It's the perfect time to try out something new. Um, you know, if you're going to your office, um, if, even if you're just working from home and you're starting to see some grays coming through, Madison Reed can help you find the perfect shade to match your hair and spruce yourself up a bit. Um, for decades, you know, women have had only two options for coloring their hair, outdated at-home color or the time and expense of a traditional salon. Um, just getting a, a box from the store is always a little risky. You kind of never know exactly what color you're going to get. But what's amazing about Madison Reed and makes the color so unique is that it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. And you can find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. They make the process really simple. You can be sure that you're finding the one that matches you exactly. So you don't even you know need to worry about having to try different ones. You can definitely get one that's going to 
going to work well for you by going to their website and doing their um, sort of quiz that helps you figure out what type of hair you have and will really help you, you match your color very easily. And right now, Autopsy listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code LASTHOURS. That's code LASTHOURS, L-A-S-T-H-O-U-R-S. Hi, this is Jillian from Court Junkie. I released my first podcast episode back in 2016. And as I like to say, I tell stories about our criminal justice system. Each week, I cover a different case with interrogation audio, testimony from trials, and sometimes even interviews with people close to the case. I give you the facts and let you decide. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a sneak peek at a recent Court Junkie episode where a potential serial killer takes the stand in his own defense. Expert forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is investigating the death of far-out comedian Andy Kaufman, who died of a rare form of lung cancer at the age of just 35. So far, I've ruled out Andy's teenage use of recreational drugs as having anything to do with his death. But he did smoke in his youth, and he dabbled with cigarettes in his act in smoky clubs. However... Although smoking is a leading cause of lung cancer, it doesn't explain why he developed the disease so young. January 1984, KTLA Studios, Los Angeles. Andy is getting ready to appear on variety show The Top. It will be his last performance ever. Since his diagnosis, Andy has refused any conventional treatment and is convinced meditation Writing down positive thoughts and eating a strict diet will cure him. Thank you. Enjoy. He didn't want anything to do with the hospital or radiation or chemo or anything. He wanted to do alternate medicine. One of the things we tried was a macrobiotic diet. We had a cook. It was all specially prepared to heal his cancer. Some people believe a macrobiotic diet, eating Whole foods like grains and seeds combined with a positive mental outlook can cure the disease. This wasn't something that everyone did. You got sick, you went to a hospital, it didn't change the way you ate, and you didn't kind of think happy thoughts. It didn't work like that. So it's not a surprise that he decides to go for alternative therapies because his view of, of health, his view of well-being, indeed his view of the world, would have come from that place of you know things being different to what everyone else does. Although a holistic lifestyle may have some benefits, there is no substantial scientific evidence to suggest it can cure cancer. Andy's cancer was fast growing, and the only chance of prolonging his life would have been to treat it aggressively with conventional medicine. But Andy's diet hadn't always been so healthy. In fact, when he got his cancer diagnosis, it's the thing Andy believed caused it. Looking through interviews with Andy, I'm surprised to find that he had his own ideas about what caused his cancer. It seems he attributed it to an addiction to sugar. Could I please have some ice cream? Just a, a, dish. a chocolate, a dish of chocolate ice cream, one scoop. Andy was like a big kid. He ate a lot of sugar, a lot of ice cream, a lot of chocolate. Choco Marsh, you know. Uncle Andy's Choco Marsh. <laughs> you know, Choco Marsh is Choco Marvelous. 
He was such a controlled person. Everything in his life he did to ensure, you know, the best outcome from him health-wise. Except, you know, we all know you're not supposed to have chocolate ice cream all the time. So what's going to kill him? The one bad thing he does. There is no evidence to suggest that sugar causes cancer or accelerates the spread of the disease. But eating an excess of sugary foods can lead to diabetes, which is known to contribute to cancer. However, there are no official reports to say Andy had diabetes. So I am ruling out excess sugar as having anything to do with his death. But I have found something else that Andy was a huge fan of, and that's wrestling. And I can see Andy took up the sport in the years before his death. There is some evidence that links physical trauma with the development of cancer. I want to examine if he sustained any injuries while fighting and investigate if there is any link to his death. When he was a kid, he wanted to be a pro wrestler. You know, that, that was one of the things we would do. We would, like, have wrestling matches with each other. But in classic Andy style, instead of fighting men, he chose to fight women. There was no way with his size, weight, and physical stature that he could ever become a professional wrestler. So he just decided one day he would become the intergender wrestling champion of the world. But in the spring of 1982, he decided to move away from wrestling women and announced that he would take on the world heavyweight wrestling icon, Jerry the King Lawler. He goes in with a professional wrestler, does the same thing all the professional wrestlers do. And believe me, there's a lot of risk in what these guys do. During the bout, Andy received a pile driver from Lawler one of the most dangerous and illegal moves in wrestling, where an opponent is turned upside down and their body driven head first into the mat. Andy said he had injured his neck and wasn't able to move. The Jerry Lawler thing was a total fake. It looked real because they rehearsed it, and, you know, people still don't believe that. They say, oh, that Andy, he got what was coming to him. I had to wear a neck brace for many months while taping Taxi, and everyone believed he had been hurt, seriously hurt. Not only is it clear that Andy's injury was a hoax, it's also clear that the evidence which links physical trauma to cancer is only relevant when the trauma is to the same part of the body where the cancer originates. Andy would have had to sustain an injury to his lung for there to be any link to his cancer. So I'm ruling out injuries from wrestling as having any impact on his death. February 1984, Andy's apartment, Los Angeles, four months before his death. Since his doctor diagnosed lung cancer, Andy has continued following his alternative health regime of a macrobiotic diet and meditation. But the disease is quickly spreading through his body and his family has been called. Andy didn't really know he would die soon. So Lynn and I talked about it a lot and decided we better tell his parents because what if he did die soon? As Andy's cancer took hold, the primary tumor in his lung would have metastasized, meaning it was spreading via the blood or lymphatic system to other parts of his body. 
and around 40% of patients with lung cancer develop the disease in the bone. Andy had a tumor in his left humerus, the long upper bone between the elbow and the shoulder. The swelling would have put pressure on surrounding nerves, causing not only pain, but also weakness, making Andy's arm vulnerable to a fracture. Due to the pain, for the past few weeks, Andy has been receiving the radiation therapy he previously refused. In early stage tumors, radiation is used to destroy or reduce cancer cells, but for Andy's lung cancer, it was too late. And the treatment could only provide a degree of comfort. But I still need to find out why Andy developed this rare cancer at just 35. Some believe it was the huge stress of his failing career and the belief that his fans no longer loved him. He was absolutely deeply involved with people and his audience. He would call a fan just out of the blue. Can you imagine writing a, a fan letter to Andy and then getting a phone call? Um, just, to, just to surprise people and make them happy, and he got a kick out of that. But his popularity appeared to be waning. The show Taxi was canceled, and after a public phone-in, he was axed as a performer on Saturday Night Live. He was being sort of blackballed. People were reacting badly to him, and they really hated the women's wrestling thing. And I really think that that wasn't good for him. It wasn't just the public. It was TV producers and the press who had also become tired of Andy. He even went on the David Letterman show, and for the first time in public, admitted the effect this was having on him. Lately, it's become a pretty popular thing to say uh, that Andy Kaufman isn't funny anymore and, uh, and, uh, and that Andy Kaufman should not be allowed on television and that she should be banned from television. And if this spreads and people like this and uh, other people who are in such positions of power uh, start spreading this around, then enough people will believe it and then I won't, be, I won't have any career left. He was out of sorts. He wanted a show of his own. He wasn't getting it. He was in that lack of confidence, period, that I had never seen him have. I think stress is a killer. You know, because Andy was a very, very happy guy, and then, you know, things changed radically in the last couple of years of his life. A guy who had a lot of opportunities all of a sudden didn't have a lot of opportunities. Although it's not been proven that stress causes cancer, there are some studies that suggest there may be a link between physiological stress and the spread of a pre-existing cancer. During stress, the adrenal glands produce the hormone norepinephrine, which circulates through the body. And this hormone may bind with cancer cells, which could make it easier for the tumor to grow and the cancer to spread. Other studies have found that stress can trigger a gene called ATF3, which affects the immune system, allowing the tumor to spread quickly to other organs. But the fact is Andy's type of cancer was particularly aggressive. So even if he was enduring stress at the time of diagnosis, it's unlikely to have made a huge impact on the disease's already rapid progression. And as the disease ravaged Andy's body, he turned to increasingly desperate measures. 
world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is looking into the death of comedian Andy Kaufman and is trying to get to the bottom of why a seemingly healthy man died so young from lung cancer. I've already established that smoking as a teenager and in character may have contributed to Andy's lung cancer. But Andy lived a healthy life, yet died at just 35 years of age. Most lung cancers are detected in people in their 60s and 70s. Andy had started cancer treatments which made his hair fall out, but he was also a keen believer in alternative therapies and attempted to rid himself of cancer using unconventional methods. Andy and Lynn decided to go see all these famous healers. They would come home with crystals and say, I don't have cancer anymore. He would say, I don't have cancer anymore, and have this crystal. March 22nd, 1984, Baguio, Philippines, two months before Andy's death. He's about to receive healing from a psychic surgeon. By pressing his hands into Andy's body, he claims he can remove the tumor without surgical instruments. Well, he seemed hopeful, and he, you know, I think he knew he had to believe in it for it to work. Andy remains in the Philippines for the next six weeks, undergoing psychic surgery twice a day. He came back and said they told him he didn't have it anymore and he was cured. Of course, it was nice to see him happy, so nobody wanted to say, hey, you know, chances are. So I don't think he ever really believed he was on the verge of dying because he was always propped up by these other things. And I thought, well, that's fine because... There's no medical treatment anyway. I think at that point he was desperate and he so wanted to believe that there was a solution and someone offers you one. The more you believe in a treatment, the more likely you are to believe that you're, you're feeling better. And, and that's what we call the placebo effect. Psychic surgery has proved to be a fraud. It involves a practitioner using sleight of hand to convince patients that whatever is causing their illness, such as a tumor, has been removed from their body by the practitioner's bare hands. But in reality, fake blood and animal parts are used to trick people into thinking that they had some kind of surgery. May 7th, 1984. Cedar sinai Medical Center, Los Angeles, nine days before Andy's death. Less than a week after returning from the psychic healer, Andy is once again in the hospital. He has had to resume the radiation therapy he had hoped to do without. He thought he was cured, he was very happy, and then he deteriorated very quickly. He was admitted whenever he felt too weak to function, so he was admitted a few times. By ceasing radiation therapy for so long during his stay in the Philippines, 
Andy's condition would have gone downhill rapidly. By putting his faith into fraudulent treatment, the pain would have intensified and it's likely the cancer continued to spread. May 14th, 1984, two days before the star's death. Following radiation therapy two days earlier, Andy has returned to the hospital. His kidneys have started to fail. This time, he will not return home. Everything was failing, and his body wasn't working anymore. I must have called a few people who knew so they could say goodbye, but he was barely in and out of unconsciousness. Andy himself was barely compass mentis at that point. I felt like I'd rather remember him the way I remember him. Kidney failure is not uncommon in the final stages of cancer. Either the tumors metastasized to the organ or the drugs used to treat the disease have proven toxic to the kidney. May 16, 1984, the day of Andy Kaufman's death. Family and friends hold a vigil by his bed. We all held on to him, saying things to him. I don't think he was conscious, but we all believed he could hear us. Of course, you kind of believed that at that time. And we were all just, we love you, we love you. You know, somebody said, come back, come back. It was a weird thing, and it just felt like the room filled up with Andy. Something happened, and I knew he was gone. But there was a presence there. At 6.27 p.m., surrounded by his loved ones, Andy dies of renal failure. It was very sad. Really, really sad, and in some ways very confusing and uh, difficult to, uh, to process. I was on tour with Bob Dylan when Andy actually passed, and I started crying, and uh, Bob Dylan came, and he was a fan, and he would talk to me about Andy a little bit, and it was devastating. Andy Kaufman, the comedian who played the immigrant mechanic on the TV series Taxi, has died of lung cancer. His publicist said Kaufman never smoked and was a health food fanatic. Andy's death from renal failure due to lung cancer is no surprise. It's a common cause of death among cancer sufferers. However, the mystery is why a healthy 35-year-old contracted the disease in the first place. But Dr. Hunter has discovered something in Andy's past which could hold the key. On May 16, 1984, the unique comedy talent Andy Kaufman died of kidney failure due to terminal lung cancer. Expert forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is probing the case to find out why. So far, I've discounted Andy's stress, injuries sustained during wrestling, and his addiction to sugar as being linked to his cancer. Although heavy smoking as a teenager and subsequent exposure to cigarettes later in life would undoubtedly have contributed, it 
doesn't explain the rapid growth of lung cancer and early death at just 35 years of age. However, looking into Andy's past, I can see that there are rumors that he may have contracted the HIV virus. The virus attacks and destroys the immune system cells. This leaves you highly susceptible to infection and could explain why a disease like cancer struck Andy down so quickly and aggressively. The claim was made by his last partner, Lynn, who also said Andy was bisexual. But this has been disputed by previous girlfriends. Andy did have a voracious sexual appetite, but I personally do not think he was bisexual at all. While Andy's friends insist he didn't have homosexual relationships, he did have an appetite for prostitutes. Andy visited prostitutes all the time. For me, it was a difficult thing sometimes uh, when I was seeing him. I remember when I went to the uh, Mustang Ranch with Andy, he was on a first-name basis with almost every whore in the place. Andy thought prostitutes were very wise women and were friends. It was not uh, like a nasty, dirty kind of situation. He had a long, big white scarf that a prostitute in Mustang Ranch knitted for him and sent him. I mean, they were, they all liked each other. Although the claim that he had HIV was made by an ex-girlfriend, there's no reported evidence that any previous partners also contracted the disease. Adding to the fact that there's no mention of it on his death certificate, I have to rule out HIV as a factor in his rapid and unexpected death. I was in almost every doctor's meeting with Andy, and he did not have AIDS, to the best of my knowledge. But on further investigation, I have discovered that in 1978, Andy did contract a virus which, like HIV, can be transmitted sexually, and that's hepatitis. Hepatitis attacks the liver, which plays a vital role in the immune system. While white blood cells are busy fighting hepatitis in the liver, the immune system could fail to notice the buildup of cancer cells, which are notoriously good at hiding. So, did hepatitis cause Andy to develop cancer? And he was cranky when he had hepatitis because he couldn't go out and do the things he wanted to do. He was sick. We all had to get shots and, and we took care of him and he got better and back to normal. Andy did this whole one-man show at the Huntington Hartford Theater with hepatitis, including leading the audience down the street for cookies and milk. And that's pretty amazing with hepatitis. There is no official report as to which type Andy had, but looking at accounts from this time, they claim that it got better after just a matter of weeks. And a doctor is quoted as saying, it was the type you get from eating shellfish. This is consistent with one of the mildest forms of hepatitis, hepatitis A. Andy would have recovered after just a few weeks bed rest, and therefore, I'm discounting the condition as having anything to do with his death. But Dr. Hunter has found one last bit of evidence, which he believes could be the final piece of the puzzle of Andy's death. I've discovered that Andy's maternal grandfather, Papu Sai, and his mother, 
both died of cancer. Usually cancer is caused by random gene mutations in one or a few cells of the body. But in some cases, a different type of mutation affecting nearly all the body cells called a germline mutation can be passed down through the family in the DNA, which may have been the case for Andy. Although hereditary mutation may not lead to cancer, the risk of developing the illness is higher than average and lowers the resistance to cancer-causing toxins like those found in tobacco. So it seems it was Andy's genetics, coupled with the lifestyle factor of cigarette smoke, that sadly left him susceptible to this deadly disease. Although some devotees may buy into the idea that Andy Kaufman could still be alive and well, those closest to him are in no doubt that he died. I guess if you can believe it, you go, oh yeah, he's, he's still alive, he's in the Philippines, you know, surrounded by slave girls, and uh, you can believe anything you want to believe, you know. But, you know, I know he's dead. So far, everything I've ever done for you, really I'm only fooling. This is really me. I felt like he was still almost a child in many ways, and I think it was something that was very special about him that I think a lot of people lose. I like to remember Andy as a, a very dear friend, a very sensitive and good person who ultimately wanted to bring people some happiness and some depth of experience, and uh, I think he was very successful at doing it. It's possible Andy's childlike innocence and alternative way of looking at the world made him choose to follow unconventional ways of treating his cancer. But the sad truth is that in Andy's case, by the time he was diagnosed, there was little anyone could do. Putting his faith in alternative treatments gave him hope when there was none. His way of viewing the world in the end spared him from the brutal reality of this unrelenting disease. He wanted to fake his death, but he actually died, and it was a tragedy. And he missed more than half of his life. So I don't know what he think about that. That's too sad. hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcast1.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. This is Jillian from Court Junkie, and here's a sneak peek at episode 109, where a potential serial killer takes the stand in his own defense. Nelson refused to answer the prosecutor's questions with just a yes or no answer, saying in doing so would be like putting a gag in his mouth. He said he never filed a complaint about Dominguez, but did consider shooting him. He formed a new plan when he turned his attention to the people of Winter Park. So in September, when you went to the Walmart and acquired the knife 
and the duct tape and the zip ties. Remember the zip ties? Yeah. Um, Never leave home without them. Thank you for that quote. Levity. Nelson said he planned on doing a home invasion to get as much money as possible. If someone was hurt in that home invasion, it would be collateral damage. The prosecutor began to press Nelson on the timeline of when he decided Jennifer would be his target. He said a lot of what he told detectives in his interview was false. A lot of what I told the detectives was untrue because we started off with a quid pro quo and they started weaseling out and playing their games and started and it started giving me a little enjoyment watching them squirm. Because some of the answers I gave them, the blood pizza, come on. Right, That's you, a lot of inaccurate information I gave them because they, they weren't being forthcoming with my needs. Okay. They weren't trying to help me. They just wanted to squeeze me. So I just gave them a lot of BS back. The prosecutor asked if Nelson's statement in court and what he said to detectives was all a sham. He said no and denied asking for a bottom bunk and food in exchange for giving them information. I told him straight up, quid pro quo, bring, you, you help me, I'll help you. That's it. All right. Well, let, oh, no, I mean, that's how detectives are. They, they, they squeeze you, they, they, you know, then they, ba-boom, you get nothing in the end. Sure. I mean, it's what, what you guys do. You're very Does good at it. Does that mean that what you told him uh, about killing Jennifer Fulford was untrue? No, that is true. All right. So let's go back to how that occurred. Julio Dominguez. I, I, we're, we're past that. Let's get back to September 26th of 2017. Um, you're on foot, correct? Yeah. You have uh, your duct tape and zip ties and knife with you. What does this have to do with Julio Dominguez? I mean, if you want to sit here and talk to me and, and, and grill me for the next three hours, I'm not doing this. I came up here for one reason. Julio Dominguez is the reason Jennifer Lynn Fulford died. That's it. That's all I have to say. All right. If you wanted anything more, talk to my lawyers. Yeah. That's it. Your Honor, would the court direct Mr. Nelson to answer the, the questions of all attorneys, not just his lawyer? Well, need to. My memory's getting real foggy right now. Nelson. I'm sorry. I must need my medication. Nelson, don't speak when I'm speaking. Do you understand, sir? You understand, sir? Yes. You can hear how the rest of that plays out by searching for Court Junkie on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on weekly episodes. 